Um, I had to laugh because Becca goes, next to Christine Kane, my favourite speaker. And I'm thinking, is she just saying that because I'm sitting in the front row? <laughs> she comes down. I go, did you just say that because I'm here? Um, so anyway, you'll love next year. I hope you register. No, yeah, sure. Um, I hope you, <laughs> you register um, for next year. It's going to be fantastic. I'm going to get in because I've got about... 27 minutes. Lucky that I'm a Greek woman, so I speak hard, fast, and continuously. Um, I want to just put some maybe, uh, not really closing thoughts, but just some practical um, practicalities on how we walk out of here with hope. And, um, you know, I love Pastor Rob's teaching. Last night I, I talked about against all hope in hope we continue to believe and resurrect past due promises. And today we learnt, I think essentially, you know, the fact hope doesn't look back, hope looks forward and where it fits into the great trinity of faith, hope and love. And um, I kind of hopefully will land us and launch us um, to, to kind of finishing Sparkle 2011 going into Sparkle 2012. The bottom line is when it comes to hope, how do you walk out of here? Because you're going to walk out of this room. And because I won't get to talk to you again, thank you for your incredible generosity. I don't, I don't know, but whatever you are able to do uh, to help support the A21 campaign is just fantastic. And, um, but in order to, you guys are legend, thank you for that overwhelming response back there. You are awesome. You're all like thinking, should we clap? Is she going to breathe? And um, I won't, so don't worry. I can see people are like hanging on going, is she going to choke to death, that chick? Um, so bottom line is, you know, many of you are going to walk out, you're going to walk back to the same marriage, you're going to walk back to the same kids, you're going to walk back to the same single life, you're going to walk back to the same job, you're going to walk back to uh, the same financial situation. It's not that um, anything necessarily circumstantial is going to have altered physically right now in the last 24 hours because we've been at Sparkle. And so how with maturity do you walk out of that with an attitude of hope going, okay, what defines this last 24 hours is something that was hope-filled as opposed to just a pump up? Because there's a real big difference between hope and hype. And a lot of us go to a lot of Christian events and get hyped up and then go back and sort of we, we just kind of exist like on a spiritual IV drip from event to event and, you know, be passed to try to keep me saved again this week and um, keep, give me a shot for another week. But I want to shift that from hype to hope to say essentially the way that you will walk back into your normal everyday seemingly insignificant boring life with an attitude of hope is if you want to change your perspective you have got to change your posture my hope is that over the last 24 hours that your posture has shifted that even if your circumstances have not shifted because you've shifted your posture your perspective on what you are going back to has actually changed there's a scripture in second kings chapter 7 and um, let me just contextualize this before i get in in second kings chapter 6 there's a great famine in samaria and um, in chapter 7, Elijah calls an end to the famine. But the famine was so great, not different to the famine in our land, except the people were so depraved during this famine that in chapter 6, people were eating, mothers were eating their children. And they were eating donkey's heads. And there was a lot of depravity. People do depraved things when there's famine in the land. A lot of what happens when it comes to trafficking and injustice on the earth is when there's great famine in the land, people end up doing very, very depraved things. Our world is full of famine, which is why it is so hopeless. So in the midst of this circumstance, when you think things couldn't possibly get worse, we're eating donkey's heads, we're eating children, just when you think things couldn't get worse, they actually do. 
In 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 3, the Bible says, Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gate, the gate to Samaria. And they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we'll enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. Now therefore, come let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. They're great profound prophets. And it goes on. And they rose at the twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp, to their surprise, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses and the noise of a great army. So they said to one another, look, the king of Israel is hired against us, the kings of the Hittites and the kings of the Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and they left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. I love this. The change of posture occurred. We're talking four leprous men are sitting at the entrance to the gate of Samaria. And, um, you know, you wouldn't get more, I guess, a lower socioeconomic demographic, the most marginalized, the poorest, the most disenfranchised of any people group were lepers. In fact, in these Bible times, if you were um, walking across the street and you had leprosy, you would actually uh, yell out, leper coming, leper coming, leper coming, so that people would cross the street and not walk on the same side of the road um, as you. So here they were, no rights, no privileges, no resources, Uh, no value. They're sitting at the gate. And then this is the question that I actually want you to leave Sparkle 2011 with. A profound question, which I think more Christians ought to ask themselves if you want to live a hope-filled life. They ask themselves the question, and this is it, the power of a question, why are we sitting here until we die? And until you get to the place in your life where you ask that question, then you are going to see things From the same perspective, you're going to be looking at the same old circumstance from the same old perspective and nothing is ever going to change. What hope does is it begins with a question. It begins with a question, why? What is it that I'm waiting for? What little magic pixie dust am I waiting to come out of the sky so that something will change in my life? Until you get to the place, the true sign of hope is when you've walked out, you've been so moved by the word that you then come to the place where you go, you know what? Why do we sit here until we die? And they said, look, if we sit here, we're going to die. If we go into the city, the Syrian camp is in the city, 99.999% chance we're going to die. But if we stay here, there's 100% chance we're going to die. So here we die, there we die, everywhere we die, die. We die. (laughs) So they got to a place that said, you know what? Just maybe, just maybe God will be with us. And I think I got to that place when it came to trafficking. It was like, what am I going to do? If we do nothing, the girls are going to die. If we try to do something, worst case scenario, we fail. Should we do nothing? No one's going to be rescued. If we do something, just maybe one will get saved. Worst case scenario, no one will be rescued. Some of us are waiting for something to happen and then we'll go, I will be filled with hope when something changes. When my husband picks up his dirty socks. When my kids make their bed, I'll know the second coming is imminent. You know, I'll be happy and be hope filled when. I get this opportunity when I get that word. But we need to get to a place where we say, you know what? 
I am going to change my posture. So I changed my perspective. When these guys stood up and they began to move, what happened? God was able to move on their behalf. The Bible says, Then the Lord made it sound like a mighty army was coming. Four lepers, pussy scabs, limbs falling off, made an entire Syrian army flee. You know, I always think when it comes to 821, people say, you know, what have you done? I go, we are like the lepers. We just got up and started moving. And all of a sudden, mafia people are like, who are these people? And governments are like, who are these people? Traffickers are like, who are these people? We're a bunch of lepers. But when a bunch of lepers begin to move full of hope and faith in the one in our one tree, God, God makes it sound like there's an army on your side and your enemies will begin to flee and you will start to have the victory. But you've got to get moving. Hope is an action. And the very gate that you're sitting at right now, which you think is the gate that is stopping you and hindering you, actually can become the access point to your destiny if you change your posture. That's the difference that hope does. The very thing that you think is the gate of limitation is actually the doorway to your future. If you change your posture, you'll change your perspective and you'll see the very thing that the enemy is trying to use to hold you back as a barrier actually is the access point to the next thing that God has for you. There are lots of gates we sit at, lots of gates, still our hope, still our faith, and we sit at those gates and I'm going to have not much time to talk about many, but I want to uh, uh, probably relate to a couple to you. See, the truth is it's for freedom that Christ set us free. And that freedom is what you and I need to walk in so that we can open those barriers that have been holding us back from the purposes of God must become a doorway into the purpose of God so then we can turn around and pull other people through with us and help set them free. But the more you just sit at your gate of defeat and fear and doubt and limitation and negativity, then what happens is it's not just hindering your life, it's hindering all the other lives of the people that are supposed to walk through that door of hope into the future that God has for them. And so it's time to grow up. It's time to stand up. It's time to kick open. Some gates you've got to kick open. Some you've got to climb under. Some you've got to climb over. Some you've got to go around. Whatever you need to do, my prayer is that at this conference, you make a decision that I'm not sitting at my gate of defeat or negativity or fear or doubt or my past any longer. I'm going to kick that gate open and the thing that was stopping me is now going to become the doorway to the future that God has for my purpose and my destiny. In Jesus' name, you can clap and I'll breathe. How's that? And so, 16 minutes and 52 seconds, I'm going to give you, I'll probably only be able to get to one gate, but it's a crucial gate if I had to pick one out of all of them. And um, I, I'm, I love that DVD that we saw because the one gate, are probably above all, that holds many, many people back from moving into a hope-filled future and staying bound where they are is um, the gate of our past. And it is so amazing to me how so many of us are so chained to our past that we can't lay a hold of the future that God has for us. You know, we've all made mistakes. We've all needed, uh, you know, the redemption and the forgiveness and the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, many of you that know my story, you know that I came from a background where I was left in a hospital unnamed and unwanted, where I was abused for, for um, 12 years. Now, for many reasons and many people that have been abused in some way or violated or traumatized or experienced loss, 
use that as an excuse to stay a victim. They sit at that gate. Well, you know, it's not my fault. I'm a victim. You don't know what my father did to me. You don't know what my uncle did to me. You don't know what my cousin did to me. I can't serve in church and I can't submit to authority because you don't know what men did to me. And you know, I was violated or I was hurt. My teacher said that I was dumb or stupid and so I was never given an opportunity. Everyone has been hurt at the words of someone else. Everyone in some way, shape or form has been marred or hindered. But a lot of us, we remain victims. We think, well, I can't move ahead. You don't know. In my family, there's always been addiction. In my family, there has always been depression. In my family, there is always... We just kind of just accept these things. And this is the gate that I sit at, the gate that has bound me generationally by my past. You know, nothing can change because it's always been like that. We've always been poor. We've always been broke. We've always had addictions. We've always struggled with this. And we sit at that gate. Well, you know, I was abused or I was this or I was that. This happened to me. I lost everything. He cheated on me. He left me for somebody else. And we sit there like a victim. And we nullify the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. And we dilute the power of the blood of Jesus Christ to set us free. And we sit there as a victim. I tell everyone, I fit every government funding category in Australia. I grew up in the poorest local government area in New South Wales, the state where I um, was where I lived, third poorest local government area in the whole nation of Australia when I was growing up. I second generation migrant Greek before my big fat Greek wedding when it was not cool to be Greek in Australia at all, extremely marginalised because of my ethnicity. Um, you know, in a culture that demeaned women, that never really wanted, you know, I was never told as a woman I could aspire to anything. You know, you were just put on the earth to go forth and have many children. I, I tell people I'm a Greek Orthodox mother's nightmare. I did not marry until I was 30. I didn't have my first baby until I was 35 and I'm a Pentecostal preacher. It doesn't get any worse for my mother. And so, you know, I did not grow up in an environment where chicks were kind of, you know, encouraged to do that. I, um, you know, was left in a hospital, unnamed and unwanted. I, I was adopted out. I was um, abused for 12 years. I, I, you know, I, I'm thinking of the government funding categories. I was a marginalised, depressed, dispossessed, poor, ethnic, minority, abused, adopted chick. I could make a fortune on government funding. Because what they do is they fund people like me and they give me a label and they say victim and will pay you every week to remind you of the fact that you're a victim, to remind you of your past. But you know what? I read the book and my Bible says that I am not a victim, but that he has redeemed my life from the pit that I don't need to live as any kind of victim of my past. And what we need to do is say, I am not going to sit at this gate any longer where I will be defined by my ethnicity or my gender or my socioeconomic background or what happened to me. For a long time, I never even talked about the fact that I had been abused, not, not out of any other reason, but I didn't kind of want to be labelled. And people are like, oh, you know, oh my gosh, did you hear Chris Kane's story? It's so amazing. She was abused. And it's like people get shocked. Oh, like God still works. What a shock. Look at her life. Isn't it amazing? This is called the normal Christian life. I was once lost, now I'm found. I was once broken, now I'm healed. It's what God has always done and continues to do. He restores broken lives. He gives you a life beyond your past. You know, the blood of Jesus does not give us amnesia. 
Some of us go, you know, it's under the blood, it's under the blood, it didn't happen, it didn't happen, it didn't happen. That's called lying. Faith is not calling those things that were as though they were not. It's calling those things as, that are not as though they are. There's a difference. And so my past did happen. There's no doubt about it. Yes, I was abused. Yes, I was left in a hospital, abandoned and unwanted. Yes, I was marginalized. And yes, I've got the scars to show that. There's no doubt about it. But what use would I be to a generation? Oh, poor me. It was so bad. I was abused and I was adopted and nobody loves me. Everybody hates me and think I'll go eat worms. And what use? And you know, I'm so depressed and it's so hard. But, but now I'm a Christian. And it's still really hard, but at least it's hard with Jesus. <laughs> at least I'm depressed with Jesus. And let's all just have another women's misery meeting and just cry about how hard it is with Jesus. What use is that? How much better to stand before a generation and go, you know what? I've got some scars, but let me tell you about the healer of my soul that brought redemption and life and mercy and grace and a life beyond my past to the future that Jesus Christ has for me. That's the power of hope that I can't do anything to change the past. But the choices I make now to change my posture can change everything about my future. And it doesn't just impact me. It impacts the generations that are to come after me. Why do some of us have to change that posture and walk into the future with, with this sense of hope rather than looking in the rear vision mirror of the past and allowing that hopelessness to define our life? Because it's not just about you. It's about your children. Some of us need to just stop blaming. And the greatest thing you could do to put hope in your life is to just stop, you cannot do anything to change. I can blame the perpetrators from here to the second coming, but it's not going to change anything. Stop blaming your ex-husband. Stop blaming your ex-lover. Stop blaming your parents. Blame is not going to do anything. You've got to get to a point where you say, okay, Jesus, I'm bringing this to the foot of the cross and I'm going to leave it there. And I'm going to also understand that there's some resurrection life on the other side of the cross. And many of us, we spend every week of our Christian life at the gate of defeat, at the gate of our past, never getting up saying, I'm leaving it. And this thing that has now stopped me, I'm opening that into the future that God has for me. And it's going to be the doorway to my future. You know, I always use this scripture because I love it. Because the enemy sent an assignment to still kill and destroy my life. There's no doubt about it from the time I was in my mother's womb. But you know, Joseph turned around to his brothers and he didn't blame. When he was second in charge of the land, he turned to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20 and he Joseph said to them, do not be afraid for I am in the place of God. And I love this. He says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. And I always think that the perpetrators of the abuse against me, the people that abandoned me, oh, the enemy meant that as evil. He meant that to take my life out and to destroy me. I guarantee you the devil and every one of his little demons in hell regrets the day every day, regrets the day they ever allowed anyone to come into my room at three years old and touch me in a way God had never designed me to be touched. I bet he regrets the day that for the next 12 years, 
He allowed all of that to happen to me. See, because what he had meant for evil, as only God could do, he has turned that thing around. He's worked it all together for good. And now by the grace of God, millions of people around the world have the opportunity to hear about the redemption and the life and of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. And if he could do it for me, he could do it for them. I bet the devil wishes that he left me alone and did not touch me because every day for the rest of my life, I will make him pay for what he has done every day for the rest of my life. And the best way to make him pay is not through bitterness or anger, but it's to live the abundant life that Jesus Christ came to give us. That's the best way to make him pay. And some of you need to just get up and change your posture. And your husband needs to stop paying for something he never did to you. Because you've not resolved it and you've not dealt with it, your intimate life is a mess. And he's paying for something he never did because someone else did and you never resolved it. Your children are paying for something that they never did because the broken and the fragmented, you're at the gate of despair. And God says, I want to turn this into a door of hope for you. I want your past to give somebody else a future. But you've got to walk through that door and you've got to turn that circumstance around. And you need to stop being defined by your issue. Well, that's my issue. You don't know what happened to me, Chris. That, that's just, and you define, you know, you met those people. You don't even, you don't even remember their name anymore. You're just kind of their issue. Oh, you know her, man. Man, she's got a little short fuse. Don't push that button. You know, and oh no, she's got issues with this. She's got anger issues. She's got relational issues. She's got, you know, it's a Bible's full of people with issues. We don't know their names. We just know their issues. You know, the woman with the issue of blood, we don't know her name, but we know her issue. The demoniac, we don't know his name but we know his issue. Many of the blind men or the crippled or the lame or the mute or the deaf, we don't know their names, but we know their issues. See, some of us, we are so defined by our issue that no one no longer knows our name. They just define us by what happened to us. But you are not your issue. And until you get a revelation of who Jesus Christ is, all you will do is define yourself by your issue. And that's why I love Matthew 16. Jesus turns around to his disciples and he says, who do you say I am? And Peter turns around. And finally, he gets the revelation. He says, but you are. He first says, you know, men say you are X, Y, and Z. And Jesus goes, no, 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 but who do you say that I am? And as you leave Sparkle 2011, this is the key issue to hope in your life. Who do you say that he is? And Jesus says, who do you say that I am, Peter? Or Simon Barjona, he is at, the, at that point. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, right, you are. Flesh and blood could not have revealed this to you. There's no way in your own strength you could have known that. But let me tell you now that you have a revelation of who I am, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now let me tell you who you are. Because once you get a revelation of who Jesus is, you're no longer defined by who, what other people say you are or what other labels others have put upon you or the issues that have happened to you. Jesus now begins to tell you who you really are. He says, you're not Simon Bar-Jonah, this little reed. No, 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 let me tell you who you are. Your name is Peter. And on this rock, I'll tell you what your purpose is. I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the living God. And many of us need to get a true revelation of who Jesus is. Because when you get a revelation of who he is, he'll tell you who you are and what you are on the earth to do. And you are here to do more than what you're doing right now. There is more in you than where you are right now. You've got to get up, change your posture and begin to walk into the fullness of all that God has for you. 
Who do you say that I am? Hope is in the name of Jesus. All the promises of God, we heard this last night, are in him. Yes, and in him, amen. You heard Pastor Rob. It's about Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul, both firm and secure. You have got to know who he is before you can know who you are and what he's called you to do on the earth. And the only way that you can step out of your past into the fullness of what God has for you is to have a true revelation of the hope that's in Christ. Not, there's no hope in the stock market. There's no hope in the political system. There's no hope in the media. There's no hope in the education system. Don't get caught up in the stuff of this world. There is no everlasting hope in any of those things. Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul. I love it. Both firm and secure. So some have just got to stop blaming. Others, you've just got to grow up and take responsibility. And that's how you change your posture. You go, I'm going to just stop expecting someone else to do it for me. And I'm just going to say, I got to a point where I just had to tell, I could not change what anyone had done to me, but I could take responsibility for my response. My response, I had the ability to determine my response. That's what responsibility is. And a lot of us, we just kind of react rather than learn to respond. And God's saying, I need you to have some, I need you to exercise the ability that I've given you to respond and to respond in accordance with the truth of my word so that you can find freedom and walk into the fullness of what I have for you. And bottom line is you just got to embrace the pain to change. And that's what it takes. Those lepers had to embrace the pain of getting up and walking into Samaria. And I wish I could tell you there's an easy way, but there is no easy way. I wish I could tell you I went to a meeting, someone wa made, waved a magic wand over me, spat on me, I fell over, got back up, shake, rattle, roll, whoo, it was over. Because <laughs> that's what Christians like. We like Christian magic. Whoo, there it is, there's your magic dust. But there is no such thing. None at all. There was a process to restoration and a process to transformation. And as I embraced that process... Then it brought change and transformation over years in my life. And by God's grace, I'm living proof that the very thing that was a barrier to me moving forward has become the doorway, not just to me moving forward, but by the grace of God now pulling a generation through those doors and rescuing girls. Because I who have been rescued now have a responsibility to turn around and rescue those that are still bound. And so we do that. You've got to you've got to find moving. I've got 10 points. I'm closing my book so we don't even think to get tempted. But the truth is, the truth is, is, it's not until you start moving that God can start moving. And the Bible says that as they started to walk, the Lord made it sound like an army was coming. God couldn't make it sound like an army was coming until they started moving. Some of you, the healing that you're waiting for, the answer that you're waiting for, the breakthrough that you're waiting for, the hope that you're waiting for, God's waiting on you. And you're going, but God, look at my circumstance. And, um, you know, the gentleman with that great ministry earlier, he goes, I kind of got these 18 people that were coming up and I'm like, I can't, uh, no, 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 I've got to do this other thing. And that's what a lot of us are like. No, no, no. When God's saying, would you just start moving in this direction and I'll start to work it all out for you. That thing that you think now is stopping you is actually the door way into the future that I have for you. And so you've got to get to a place which says, why am I sitting 
at the gate of my past. And if I had time, I would talk about the gate of your fear and the gate of your limitations. There are so many gates that we sit. You can label it, whatever it might be. And you can identify what is the gate that you're sitting at. And that gate that you're saying, there's a reason why I can't do this. That gate's stopping me. This is the reason why we've been like that from the beginning of time. But God, I can't do this. But God, what about what happened to me? But God, I'm so scared. But God, what will my neighbors say? But God, what will my friends say? But God, what will this cost me? But God, I'm not educated enough. But God, I'm still single. But God, I'm married. But God, I don't have kids. But God, I do have kids. But God, but God, but God. (laughs) You know what we need in the body of Christ? We need a serious butectomy. (laughs) We do. We need to get our big fat butts out of God's way. How many need a butt reduction in this place? Hope says I'm getting butt out of the way because it's never about what I don't have. It's never about what I can't do. It's about who he is and what he wants to do in and through my life. Jesus is this hope we have as an anchor for our soul. It starts with him. It ends with him. He is the author. He is the finisher. He started this whole deal. It doesn't matter what's happening around you. He is going to end this whole deal. And while you're in him, while there's still breath in your lungs, while your heart's still beating while blood's still pumping through your arteries and veins. There is a hope. There is a future. There is a destiny. There is life. There is light at the other end of the tunnel. There is hope in Jesus. There is hope in Jesus, friend. Let's act like we believe this stuff. And so Sparkle 2010, 2011. It's one big millennium at the moment. You know what? It began with Jesus and it's going to end with Jesus. Jesus is this hope we have. I don't know what circumstances you're confronting. I don't know what's going on in your life. But I do know that Jesus wants to be right in the midst of all of that. And just before I end, I just feel prompted to ask one more time for those of you that maybe don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior in this room. Maybe, you know, if you're honest, you've sat through this conference. Maybe you weren't even here last night. You dropped in today. Or you were here last night, but you did not feel compelled to surrender your life and your heart to Jesus. Still others of you, you thought you had. But as the tone of the conference has gone on, you're like, you know what, if I'm honest, I haven't really surrendered my life to Jesus. I've done the religious deal, the conference deal. But I haven't really given my life to Jesus Christ. And for me to need to stop now and do this, it must mean that there's someone in the room. And God's calling you and he's knocking on the door of your heart and he's saying, will you respond? You've thought, you know what? You've thought there's no way that you can be forgiven by God. I don't think it's an accident that we saw the DVD that we saw. You think you've done things that God can't possibly forgive. But I'm here today to tell you that the Bible says if we confess the stuff that we've done wrong, that God is very faithful and just to forgive us all of our junk, all of it, whatever we've done, thought or said to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to wipe away the mess of that past, to give us a brand new start and a hope for the future. There's not one person in this room that does not need the forgiveness and the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ. There's no degrees of what you've done wrong in God's economy. You haven't been disqualified because Jesus Christ and his redemptive work on the cross has qualified you if you would just say yes to him. I just want every head bowed and every eye closed. Wherever you're sitting, if that's you this morning and you're saying, you know what, Chris, you're talking to me. This morning I need to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I need a fresh start with Jesus. Either I've been backslidden or I've not given my life to Christ and you've stopped this whole meeting right now for me. 
because I need to get right with God. If that's you, I want to know who you are so I can pray with you. Would you just raise your hand wherever you are and say, Chris, thank you, I see you there. That's awesome. Thank you, I see you over there. Thank you, I see you down there. Thank you, I see you over there. Fantastic. Anybody else that says, Chris, you've stopped all this because God's knocking on the door of my heart and I'm going to respond. I love that. Another one over there. Put your hands up high so I could see. There, there, back there, through there, through there, 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 there. That's awesome. Nothing is more important than people making their peace with God. So, Father, you see every hand that's raised to you. And, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that this morning would be truly an eternity-defining morning. Father, where every one of these people with their hands raised would know what it is to have not only forgiveness for their past, Lord, but a brand new start today and a hope for the future that they would know the unconditional love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, Lord. Let this be a defining morning, I pray. A defining, life-saving morning, I pray. In Jesus' name. You can keep your heads bowed. And, and, and those, um, those people that raised your hand after the meeting, I'm sure there'll be people that you can go and talk to. And I want to make sure that you do. It's about 10 of you that said yes to Jesus. And make sure that we give put a book in your hand about where to go from this. But just as we end and before the final item, you know, some of you are going back to some interesting situations. But you're willing to change your posture so that you'll change your perspective. You might walk straight back into what you walked out of. But everything's going to be different simply because you're different, because your eyes are now off the circumstance and onto the hope that you have in Jesus. And um, if you're going to carry that hope into your future and, you know, you kind of want to make a commitment to the Lord that Jesus, I'm going to change my posture. Whatever your scenario might be, financial, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, whatever that might be, that's you and God. But you're willing to go, you know what, what am I sitting here until I die? I don't know what it is that I'm waiting for. I am going to get up from where I am. You're never going to get to where you need to go until you get up where you are right now. No one starts where they want to end up. They start where they are. And they begin to move to where they want to end up. And some of you are looking for hope in the future. But you've got to get up from where you are now and walk into that future that God has for you. If you're willing to do that, to go, you know what, it's not going to be the same for me. Sparkle 2011, this, my life is not going to be the same. I'm willing to change my posture so that I can go into a hope-filled future that God has for me. I'm just going to pray for you. But if you want me, and, and, and I mean, I'm telling you, this is going to mess up your life in a really good way. But you're not going to be able to sit at that gate and murmur, grumble and complain anymore because your friend's going to say, shut up, didn't you hear what Christine said? And so that's, that's it. You're not going to be able to feel sorry for yourself. If you want to stay a victim, stay seated. But if you want to walk into your future, I'm just going to pray a prayer of faith over you. I want you to stand up wherever you are and say, yep, I'm going in with hope. I'm changing my posture. I'm not sitting at this gate of limitation or this gate of fear or this gate of doubt or this gate of my past any longer. I am going to move in. And you know what? what what am I sitting here until I die? I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm going to start moving forward. I want you to raise your hand to heaven wherever you are. And even if you're not comfortable doing this, it's good for you. It's no good. You're changing your posture. So this is good. So you can change your perspective, Father. Hundreds and hundreds of women with their hands raised to you. And God, that's our sign. Our sign of abandonment to you, to your cause, to your purpose. 
Father, we choose by just even assuming this posture of surrender. We're saying we're getting our eyes off our circumstance. We're getting our eyes off what is or isn't happening relationally, what is or isn't happening financially, what is or isn't happening when it comes to our hopes and expectations and our plans, what is or isn't happening with our kids or our families or God, our dreams where we thought they would be. We're getting our eyes off all the stuff. All our fears and terror and the economy and what's going on. And Father, we lift our eyes up to you, Jesus. You're the author and you're the finisher of our faith. Our trust lies in no one or nothing else other than you. And Lord, we purpose as a company of women that we're not going to sit here at these gates of fear and defeat and negativity until we die. But Lord, we're going to go forward. We might be limping forward, but we're going to go forward. And we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because you're the author and you're the finisher. Lord, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would give your women the strength and the courage and the faith to walk out what they've purposed within this afternoon, I pray. Father, seal your word in every woman's heart. And like the Lord said to Joshua, only be strong and very courageous. And Father, I pray that everyone will move into the fullness of what it is that you have for our lives with a hopeful expectation in Jesus' name. And all God's girls said, amen. Come on, why don't you give the Lord an awesome ovation in this place today.